Okay, we have been going together through the Apostles' Creed. This is what we've been uh, doing in our uh, in our time uh, in our in our sermons uh, for the last uh, for the last few weeks, I guess it is, or a month or two, or something like that. We um, the Apostles' Creed. Here, I actually should uh, just look it up because I don't have the whole thing here. Um, I'll just uh, look at it here. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is a foundational creed for the church throughout history.
So we're going to go through that together. Um, first, uh, if you have Bibles and you want to turn in them to somewhere, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. <coughs> so if you open up your Bible to the middle, you've got to go left or go to the right. Oh man, I almost gave you wrong instructions. You want to go to the right and uh, you want to flip through. And if you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's just past the book of John. If you hit Romans, you've gone too far. And it's very helpful because Acts is full of a whole bunch of numbers that you can uh, use to discover um, where you are. We're in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, this is uh, Jesus' friends when he was on earth, the disciples, uh, his followers. When they had come together, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so there we have the ascension of Jesus. Jesus floats up, gets grabbed by a cloud, and flies away. Um... It should be noted that this is not, uh, Jesus did not have superpowers. (laughs) Jesus was not flying because he's Superman. Uh, Jesus was carried up and taken to, uh, and and took himself to another place. Um, How do you describe it? I I don't know any other way to describe it other than that he was taken up into heaven, which is likely another dimension, maybe, something like that. Don't really know. Um, But Jesus disappeared from the physical world while keeping his physical body. Jesus still has a body. Uh, It's important that Jesus has a body uh, because that is how he is going to raise us up in the end of of days. We are going to rise from the dead. We are going to be given bodies. And so Jesus is living in his glorified body as a promise to what we will receive when we also rise from the dead. Uh, Jesus was carried up to a place where God's throne is. Uh, So, and he is there now in a physical, well, physical location. It's always confusing to talk about this because again, we don't really know exactly how this all works. God has not given us a step-by-step and then Jesus, you know, transformed his body into this, or Jesus did this thing, and he, you know, went and passed into another plane of existence, or into another universe, or into. We don't, we don't know what God, what, what exactly happened, but we do know that he is wherever God's throne is, and he is there now, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, uh, and that is. Uh, That is in the book of Hebrews. Uh, So if you want to keep turning in your Bible, continue going to the right. 
you will find uh, quite a long letter called Hebrews. And uh, right, we're going to be in chapter one of Hebrews. So right, you'll see the bold letters of Hebrews right at the top of the page. Um, and we're going to be in chapter one. Uh, it says in Hebrews one, uh, one to four, it says this long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Jesus ascends into heaven and sits down at God's right hand. Uh, in becoming a man, Jesus gave up certain attributes that is true of God. For example, he gave up omnipresence. And omnipresence means that he is everywhere all the time. God's Holy Spirit is everywhere all the time. He doesn't have a physical body. He, is, he, he fills all space. He is here now with us, dwelling in the hearts of his people. He is all over the world, in every corner. There is nowhere that you can go where he is not. Um, Psalm uh, 139 uh, teaches us this, this truth about God. And you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it as kind of like a, this is a good thing for you to know. Uh, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. This teaches us that God is everywhere and that there is nowhere that you can go to hide from God. God Everywhere that you could think to go where God isn't, he beat you there. He's already there. And he's been there from the foundation of the world. Jesus, however, when he came to earth and took on a human body, chose to give up that divine attribute. He is no longer everywhere all at once. God's Holy Spirit is. God the Father is. But Jesus took on physical form. And took on human limitation. Uh, in the same way that Jesus was hungry and needed to eat, he took on human limitation. God is not hungry. God does not need to eat. Jesus, be, by becoming man, took on human limitation. And so now, as the book of Hebrews tells us, Jesus is seated right now in a location that we cannot get to, at the right hand of the majesty on high. We know a little bit about what the majesty on high is uh, because Isaiah got to have a little peek at the throne room of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, 
It says, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe to me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah goes to the throne room of God and sees all these things, and he completely falls apart. Jesus, even though he is fully man, truly man, he is able to be in the throne room of God because he is also truly God. And he sits down at the right hand and he has no need to cover his face. He has no need to hide himself from the face of God because he is the face of God. And the angels around him, it says in Hebrews chapter one, that he is much superior to the angels because the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sits at God's right hand. And the angels surround him, praising his name for all time. Because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. So as the creed says, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God's throne. Uh, from heaven, Jesus is still at work. He is still accomplishing his, uh, his mission, if you will. So when we talk about Jesus, there are different things that Jesus came to do. Jesus did not merely, as if you could say merely, Jesus did not merely come to die for our sins. And that's to say that's not the only thing that he was here to do. There were other things that he was also here to do. And we, the way that we tend to refer to them as Christ's offices, you know, he has an office. You know, think about it in terms of political leaders, right? The office of the prime minister, right? The prime minister has an office. And that's not the physical room, the little cubby that he sits in with his beautiful big desk and writes decrees for, for all of us, right? That is his position, his authority, is the office of the prime minister. Okay, Jesus has three offices. He has three offices. Not three different rooms that he sits in at any given time. Three roles, three uh, areas of authority that he exer exerts over the world. And those three offices are prophet, priest, and king. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Write it down. Prophet, priest, and king. These are the things that Jesus is doing for you. He is your prophet. He is your priest. He is your king. Whether or not you acknowledge him as these, he is these regardless. No matter what. These are his immutable, that means to say unending, offices. You cannot, you cannot kick him off of his throne. He is king. We try, we fail. And this little passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, teaches us about 
how he is fulfilling these offices in heaven where he sits right now. So when he was on the earth, he was a prophet. He spoke God's words to the people. That is what a prophet does. When he was on the earth, he was a priest. He made atonement for sins. And what that means is that he paid the price that sin requires. That's what making atonement is. So in the Old Testament, there were priests and their job was to make atonement for sin. And the way that they did that is that they would bring a bull or a ram or a lamb or a goat and they would kill it and they would burn it on an altar in order to cover sins. And that was making atonement for sins. Jesus comes and he does the same thing, but instead of offering a bull or a goat, he offers himself. He becomes the lamb for the slaughter and pays the penalty for sin. Rather than covering sin, he takes it away. His blood is potent enough to completely scrub away sin from the hearts of his people. So he is a prophet, a priest, and then when he rises again, he is the king. And even before he rises again, he speaks as one with authority. He speaks the very words of God because he is God. And there are many times, you know, John chapter 6, people... No, I think maybe it wasn't John chapter 6. Anyway, there's times where the people look at Jesus and they're amazed because he speaks as one having authority. Not like the the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers of their day who could not speak with authority. They could just sort of speak kind of their understanding of God's word, right? I cannot speak to you with authority other than God's authority. I can read to you the scripture and I can say, this is what it says. But that authority does not come from me. The authority comes from God. Jesus had to make no qualification. Jesus simply said things and they were true because he's the king and he gets to decide. So that is how he fulfilled those offices on the earth. Here in, the, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, it shows us that he is seated at God's right hand and that he is continually fulfilling these offices. So it says that he is uh, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken to us by Jesus. Jesus is continually speaking. And what is he speaking about? In in verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus' word, his prophetic word, is going forth, into all the universe and causing it to continue existing. If Jesus were to stop speaking, we would all wink out of existence. Jesus is currently the prophet who is proclaiming existence over the whole of creation. It's pretty amazing. You should be amazed. You should be going, wow. Jesus is upholding my existence by the word of his power. Sorry, you're all looking a little bit sleepy. So I'm trying to help you be interested in the things that are going on. This is cool. Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Wrap your head around that one. 
Jesus speaks and you continue to exist. Jesus stops speaking. You cease to exist. That makes you feel really small, doesn't it? It ought to. Jesus is very large. Jesus is very big. God is very big. It's part of this. All of these things, by the way, are very practical because your problems are not that big. God is that big. God is able to walk with you through your problems. God is able to heal. God is able to make you well. God is able to make you holy. God is able to overcome all of the terrible things that happened to you in your past. God is able to overcome the pain in your bodies. God is able to overcome even your sin. Because he is that big. And we get this idea in our heads that Jesus came to earth and had a body and was a very small person and was a nice guy and he did some really important things and he rose again and it was very exciting and we're very happy. But that seems really far away sometimes. Jesus is not far away. Jesus is not small. Jesus is not an interesting historical factoid that happened a long time ago. Jesus is here and now speaking your existence continually. It's your problems are not that big for God. They're big for you because you are small. They are very, very, very small to God. Very small. And this is why we can go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for things because nothing is difficult for God. And sometimes, yeah, he says, nah, I think that maybe you could use this problem for a little while because you're, you, you need this. You need to grow in this area or you need something out of it. Or I'm making something good happen because of it, but he's big enough for it. And, and he's big enough. He's so big that even when the problem persists, He is enough to carry you through it, even if he doesn't take it away. So your problem is so small that God is able to hold you up and carry you through and bring you out the other side without permanent damage. Even though your problem is very big, even though your problem hurts a lot. Jesus is our prophet, speaking the very words of God into our lives. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is talking about Jesus' work as a priest. So in the Old Testament... When the temple was around, the priests were commanded not to sit down at their service. Because when a priest sat down, he was effectively saying, the job is done. Sin is paid for. All of the wicked priests that you see in the Old Testament, well, maybe not all, I, I shouldn't exaggerate, but there's one in particular that, I'm, that I'll point out. His name is Eli. There's a priest named Eli. And you know what Eli was? A fat priest. 
You know why he was fat? Because he was sitting all the time. And actually, he was sitting when God killed him. Because he was presuming that the job was done. He was sitting. And the reality is that his job was not done. He was supposed to be standing at his service. When he was on duty, he was supposed to be standing. He was supposed to be continually doing the work. Because no matter how many times you kill a goat, people still sin. And you have to continually be offering sacrifices for sin because sin is ongoing. And the blood of bulls and goats is never enough to take away sin. Here in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You know why? Because the job was done. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, It is finished... He was making a statement about his priestly ministry. It's over. It's done. I have made purification for sins. The penalty is paid in full. It's all done. And he rose again and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Later on in the book of Hebrews, it talks about this. It talks about Jesus sitting down, taking his seat at the right hand of God as a priest. But the the duty of a priest was not simply to kill animals. That wasn't his only job. The priest was supposed to be making intercession for the people to God. And making inter- to intercede on behalf of someone is to stick yourself in the middle of a problem and to mediate the problem. And so you have man on one side, you have God on the other side, you have man committing sin, you have God having wrath for sin, Jesus comes, sticks himself in the middle of it, representing man to God, and continually making intercession for them. This is his priestly work. It says in, you know, you should really read the book of Hebrews. I'm only focusing on one passage. The, The book of Hebrews goes into this in great detail. That Jesus speaks to God on our behalf, For our sins. That is what Jesus continually does for us. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As he sits next to God, he speaks to God on your behalf. Once again, your problems. Your problems are being fed directly into the ear of God when you pray. When you pray... In Jesus' name, amen. That is not a sign for everybody to open their eyes. That's sometimes how we treat it. We go, in Jesus' name, amen. And then everybody knows, oh, we're done praying. And we look up and now we can get on with our lives. No. Jesus praying in the name of Jesus is calling on Jesus to intercede for us, to God. Jesus speaks to God For us, when you are struggling, when you are in sin, when you are in sorrow and you speak to God in the name of Jesus, Jesus is there interceding for you. It's very important because you have in and of yourself no right to enter God's throne room and to make requests of him. 
It is only because Jesus is there helping you and paying the price for you and interceding for you that you have any right to speak to God. And by the way, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been adopted into God's family and you do have the right to speak to God. But your right is only because of Jesus. It is not because of your inherent goodness or worthiness. It is because of Jesus's inherent goodness and worthiness. And he has brought you in, made you part of the family, made God into your father. God has adopted you as his children. And you may now speak to him as a child speaks to their father. And you may ask him of things. And he gives good gifts to his children because he loves his children because he is a good father. And if you had a bad father, I'm sorry about that. But God is different than your father. God is a good father. And God listens to his children, loves his children, receives his children gladly in the name of Jesus. He sat down after after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Jesus, when he was on the earth, spoke with authority as the king. And now he sits at God's right hand, yes, as priest, but also as king. That is his throne. And he is much superior to angels, as the name which he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I won't belabor this point too much in this passage, because it's pretty obvious that Jesus is over all things. It's pretty plain. You know, if he's upholding the universe by the word of his power, you can logically make the, the, the leap that he is also ruling it. <laughs> so I won't, I won't spend too much time in it. The last uh, thing that I want to point you to, so we, we know now that Jesus ascended into heaven, that he is seated at God's right hand, and now we need to remember the, the, that final line of the of the of the Apostles' Creed, which refers to Christ, and it says that he will return to judge the living and the dead. He will return to judge the living and the dead. So if you want to turn to the left in your Bible, to the book of 1 Corinthians, we did a series on 1 Corinthians, um, but you can never go back to the Scripture too many times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, It talks about the return of Christ. There's a lot of passages in the scripture that talk about the return of Christ. I'm going to focus on this one um, because I I like how it talks about Jesus's rule as king. And so I've kind of like I I left off the king portion when I was talking about Hebrews chapter one. And partly because I want to use first Corinthians 15 to show you the kingship of Christ. So in first Corinthians chapter 15. And starting in verse 20, this is what it says. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom... To God the Father, after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign, 
until he has put all of his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the second coming of Christ. At the second coming of Christ, he is going to hand the kingdom to God because he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. So at the end of time, when it's all wrapping up, Jesus is going to have his kingdom in his hands. And in his hands, all of his enemies will be destroyed. Uh, It says that Jesus, uh, uh, in verse 25, it says that Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So when Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, he took on his authority as the king. And he sits there now as the king ruling over all of creation. And what he is doing right now, according to this verse, is that he is putting all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So when Jesus comes again, he, the only thing that will be left for Jesus to destroy is death. All of the other enemies will have been defeated. The only thing that's left is that people will still die. When Jesus returns, that won't happen anymore. That will be the last enemy that he will defeat. And that's what this passage talks about. It says that um, Christ has been raised. As by a man came death, by a man, now Jesus, has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. That's, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. Then, when he returns, those who belong to Christ will rise. Then comes the end. Our hope is that the king is going to come again and raise us from the dead. That is the foundation of our hope as Christians. 100%. We will rise again. And we will live on the earth in physical bodies. Our hope is not primarily going to heaven when we die. Because we will rise again. Heaven is going to be a temporary stop on our way to raising, being ra- raised from the dead. That is what is going to happen. Jesus is going to raise us from the dead. Going to heaven when you die is, if you are a believer, is going to happen but it is not your permanent residence. Your permanent residence is going to be here on the earth. God is going to remake the earth into a beautiful paradise. I mean, it already is a beautiful paradise. It's going to be even better. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be majestic and beautiful. It's going to have no uh, death or pain in it. It is going to be glorious. Jesus is going to raise us up on that earth and give us bodies that don't wear out and don't die. And that is going to happen at the end, after he has destroyed all of his enemies. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the kingship of Christ. The kingship of Christ is our hope. These three offices that Jesus has of prophet, priest, and king, these are the things that we lay our hope in. All of these things have to be true. All of these offices have to be true in order for us to have life, 
in order for us to have hope, in order for us to rise again at the end. And so, you know, take heart. You know, I talked a little bit there about your problems being too big for you, but not too big for God. You know, if Jesus is going to return and defeat death, I think that he can handle what's going on in your life. I think that death is probably bigger than your problems. Maybe your problem is death. Well, don't worry. Jesus is going to overturn that. You will rise again if you belong to Christ. You will live forever if you belong to Christ. And so as we conclude this section of about Jesus, there's very important truth in here. Jesus is the central figure of our faith. He is the central figure of the universe and he is the he, he needs to be the central figure of your life. You all, we all need to turn away from our sin and put our faith totally and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing if we do not have Christ. Nothing. We will rise in the end only to judgment and death. But if you are in Christ, Jesus is speaking to God the Father on your behalf as your priest. He is speaking your existence and he is ruling and reigning over all things. And every single one of his enemies, he is right now putting under his feet. He is systematically annihilating his enemies. That is what Jesus is doing right now. Sitting on his throne, it says he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He is on his throne right now. That's what the scripture shows us. Jesus does not have a future throne that someday he will sit on. Jesus is sitting on his throne right now. Ruling the universe. Upholding it by the word of his power. And interceding for his people. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for teaching us about Jesus. Thank you for giving us your Son. Without your Son, we have nothing. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you were willing to give up certain attributes so that you could inhabit a physical body, so that you could die for our sins so that you could rise again. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are upholding the universe by the word of your power. We thank you that you are interceding for your saints. We thank you that you are sitting on your throne, ruling the universe and putting all of your enemies under your feet. We pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us and keep us. Thank you, Father, for adopting us into your family. Thank you for sending your spirit to teach us all these things. Lord, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children, for that is what we are. Help us, Father, to worship you now in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.